Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Joey. Usually in Affable Chat, we dive as deep as we can into a topic of our choosing, and usually we talk about movies. Today is not an exception. Today I have brought on a very special guest. It is the recurring guest of Affable Chat, Kita. Say hello, hello. Kita. Hello. Hi, Joey. Yes, the recurring guest of Affable Chat. It is good to be here. Um, and I'm excited to talk about the movie we're getting into. <laughs> yes, and that movie is They Cloned Tyrone. I'm going down to the underground. Hope niggas don't drown. Right now, let a motherfucker try me. Ooh, he gonna die beside me. I don't know why. Why? 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 This is a black exploitation sci-fi action psychological horror movie directed by Jewel Taylor. The cast includes Moses, Django the Pimp, Monica Rambeau. Jack Bauer, The Live Cowardly Lion, and A Classic Old Man. I watched this on Netflix. Uh, Kita, how did you watch this? I also streamed it on Netflix. Yes, the only place it is available. Mm -hmm. Just came out on Netflix. There you go. Okay, before we dive into our discussion about They Clone Tyrone, we will recap the events in this synopsis, which Kita and I will read for you now. Every day is the same for Fontaine. As the Glen's best drug dealer, he has to inspire the youth, break knees, take care of his mom, and collect from his subordinates. One of those subordinates is Slick Charles, a flamboyant pimp with a cadre of sex workers that are beholden to him. As is expected, Fontaine arrives at Charles' apartment looking for his share of profits. Charles is unhelpful, but Fontaine finds his stash anyway. But before he can go home, Fontaine is murdered, by a rival drug dealer in his car. But every day is the same for Fontaine. He wakes up and goes right back to his beat. But when Fontaine shows up to collect from Slick Charles, Charles is terrified. He tells Fontaine he saw the pusher get killed. This is corroborated by one of Charles' escorts, Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo recognizes a car that Charles thinks was driven by the people who killed Fontaine. They track it to an abandoned house. Inside, they find a mysterious elevator that takes them to a secret lab under the Glen. After killing the lab's only technician, our trio retreats to the surface. They discuss what to do, but they soon notice many strange and sinister things about their neighborhood. The fried chicken makes everyone euphoric. The grape drink at the church makes everyone conform. The hair gel makes everyone stoic. There is a conspiracy afoot, one with mind control at the center. They follow clues and the advice of a beggar named Frog to a secret passage in the church. In disguise, Fontaine, Charles, and Yo-Yo discover an entire subterranean city where men in white suits torture and experiment on the residents of the Glen. Soon, they come across a room full of large glass tubes. Inside each is a clone of someone they know. Charles and Fontaine find multiple versions of themselves in the underground. When they try to escape through a nightclub, the DJ plays a hypnotizing song, triggering the patrons to attack Fontaine and his friends. They are eventually stopped by a man named Nixon. Nixon is able to control the entire crowd using keywords. Even Fontaine is helpless against this. 
Nixon explains that he is using the Glen and other black communities across the nation as a testing ground for a new model America. The next day, Fontaine and Charles decide to give up fighting. Yo-Yo is more persistent. She writes down everything she has discovered and attempts to mail it to the press, but she is caught and trapped underground as a subject in more cruel experiments. Fontaine discovers his mother is only a recording and that no one else even lives in his house. When he learns of Yo-Yo's kidnapping, he decides to take action. Working with Slick Charles and the rival drug dealer that shot him originally, Fontaine fakes his own death, wakes up underground, and opens all the secret entrances. Slick Charles leads an army into the underground, where they free the trapped people and clones. Fontaine is captured and brought before his original, now an old man. The original Fontaine tries to convince newest Fontaine that eugenics is the only way, but new Fontaine isn't swayed. He kills his original and escapes. Yo-Yo and Charles show down with Nixon and get his ass too. The news descends on the Glen and word spreads about the secret labs under towns in the U.S. We end with another Fontaine in Los Angeles watching the news and realizing he is a clone too. The end. end. There you go. The events of They Clone Tyrone for your enjoyment. Uh, Now we'll move into our pros and cons. Kita, what did you like about this movie? Yeah, so first, I really, really like this movie. Um, The first pro I would just obviously love to get into is the cast. Um, I was really, I think one of the biggest things that drew me to it was um, seeing kind of Jamie Foxx, seeing John Boyega, and then mostly my favorite was seeing uh, Tiona Paris. Paris? Harris. Paris. Tiona Harris. Paris. (laughs) Paris Paris with a P. Paris with a P. Tiona Paris. (laughs) Yeah, like the Um, city. I know, like the city. I love that. And I loved her in um, WandaVision, um, and I'm excited to see her be Monica Rambeau. Um, And so when I saw her, I was just so excited. And she kind of stood out for me just by who her character was. Um, And so the cast was great, um, and I just loved seeing, honestly, it drew me because it was just a, a black cast of people. Um, I also saw, and I was surprised by this, um, who played Isaac, the rival drug dealer. Yes, J. Alphonse Nicholson. I absolutely love him as an actor. Um, the first time I ever saw him, and probably the most notable right now, um, is through P-Valley. Um, and he played one of the standout characters, if not the like breakout standout character in p-valley so seeing him in this was uh, amazing he does great um, so that's one of my pros was the cast i think the other thing and i think is my f- most favorite thing about this movie was the hilarious writing and one-liners um especially especially with the 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 famous um the famous comedy king of Jamie Foxx <laughs> because i just know i just know that at least of what he was saying was improvised and, (laughs) (laughs) and that just makes it 10 times better for me. I love, I loved his, his accent. I loved his cadence. Um, And I just loved like the blackity black jokes that were just sprinkled throughout this movie. So I was, I was really glad to see that, you know, this movie was touching on some pretty serious um, and sometimes pretty, pretty dark topics when it comes to the black community but I'm really glad that you could also be comedic because I think that's a a central part of being in a black community is you know if you don't 
if we don't laugh, we cry. And I really enjoyed how funny it was, even amidst the chaos and the and the scariness of what was going on within their neighborhood. Um, so that I think was great. That, yeah, we talked about this a little bit in our big short episode, um, mm. which is that in the, when you have something depressing, uh, comedy is a really great way of like kind of laundering that message, yep. you know. And the, I think this movie works really well because it's a comedy, and and because it's uh, all played up for laughs, um, it can do mm-hmm. some, it can say something serious, uh, but also entertain you at the same time. And I think that's that makes it way more, way easier for people to watch, and also way more fun to talk about. Yeah. So. And it's and I think the humor of it all was just really relatable humor. Um, like you stumble upon this massive conspiracy and uh, a testing and experimenting going on in your neighborhood. The first thing you're probably going to do is be nervous, be scared, say all of these different things, um, especially with Slick Charles just being very hesitant with all of it, uh, being very, very it seems like he was the voice in the back. Like, I'm not going in that elevator. Like, <laughs> I'm not. No, it's just, so not, much. it's just not happening. And They're all standing I there. really, really like that. <laughs> Fontaine's like, come on, man. Come on. And he's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to. I, like, I really don't want to do this because why would we do this? Because like the, the question is, like, why would we? Why are we investigating this? This only ends bad and y'all know it. Um, so I really like that. I think the humor was really relatable because just watching it, you're like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, one of my favorite parts is kind of what we played in the beginning was the <laughs> breaking out in a random song. Um, and that's something that I tend to do a lot. Um, when I'm like nervous or I, you know, am going into something that I'm not quite sure about, um, you just start randomly singing. And I'm glad they, uh, I'm glad Yo-Yo jumped in with Slick (laughs) and I could not, and I just couldn't imagine what kind of John Boyega was like (laughs) trying so hard not to laugh because he had to really play that stoic character. And so I was like, kudos to you because we would have to do that take at least 50 times. Um, (laughs) So that was great. The comedy was my favorite part of the movie. Um, I think another thing that I really liked about this movie is you can't really tell what time period they're in and you can't really tell like where they are. Like, yes, they're in the Glen, but it's like, what part of the U.S. are we in? Like, we know we're in the United States. Yeah, um, I think and, it's supposed but, like, to be like Georgia or like like somewhere in the South, yeah, right? So but like there's South, nothing that really East. indicates it exactly. You know? Right. There were no there were no like accents or addictions Landmarks. or anything. Yeah. Right. That you could really pinpoint like, oh, I know that I could go right there. I could go there right now. And I think that's. I think that's a really essential part of the movie for me, um, especially because this is something um, the issues that they tackle here is something that black Americans have been going through um, since they landed in America. And then now today, you can apply a lot of the messaging to back in the in the 70s, 80s, which is kind of what it's looking like there at in some in some aspects from the way characters are dressing and the way the cars are looking but then also today when you're seeing posters on the wall um uh slick rick bought up 50 cent obviously he 50 cent was not back in the 70s <laughs> and right. 80s and so it's just i i it's it's not a period piece um it is this is what's happening it's be- it can't it's really. Me- it's useful for your metaphor. If you put it in a physical Absolutely. place, then it seems like it's about that place. But if exactly. you set it in a 
fictional place than it could be about anywhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so that was one of my pros that I was really trying to pinpoint the time. But then when you start looking around, you start hearing the people talking, you're seeing things on the wall, you're listening to the music. You're like, well, it's not in a specific time. It, it, it's just a general period of time, um, a, ge- a general timeline of what's going on. So I like For that For me, a it's lot. always the phones, you know? Yes. Because, because phones have changed so quickly and it like, yes. becomes such a ubiquitous technology. For them using to wow. use flip phones is disconcerting because like wait are they in the you know are they in like the early like uh, knots you know or right. is or are they like because they're drug dealers right they don't have they don't use smartphones they use burner phones so they're all using mm. flip, flip phones or something like it's not yeah. uh, it's not clear at all yeah I love it I love it I think that was just well thought out another pro that I liked was obviously the social commentary um, of kind of the narrative of black Americans and and how we kind of live in America that you know used to enslave us um, and a lot of that I think a lot of what Jewel Taylor, the director, really looked at was like individual responsibility versus, you know, systemic issues. So basically, who is at fault for the plight of Black people? Who is responsible and who should be held accountable? Um, And is there anyone to blame? Like who or what is there to blame? Because in a lot of the movie, you could see uh, Fontaine wrestling with you know, I chose to be a drug dealer or they're, they're, they're choosing to kind of lead these lives and they have free will. And, you know, this is just the life they, they wanted to do. And it's, it's hurting the community. It's hurting my neighborhood, but this is what I chose to do. And I think it is a really, really dope metaphor to realize like, nope, you did not like right. this was not your uh, essential choice. So basically, did you have a choice, you know, or did you were you coerced um, in the most subliminal way uh, to be in this position, you know? And so in this movie, they really jumped into like, nope, you play your role here um, and we're going to keep you here and you're going to play your role and we're going to do whatever we want here in the underground. So I think diving into that is, I think diving into that is hard to do. <laughs> and I think doing it in, the, in in a sci-fi kind of psychological horror way, I think is one of the best ways to do it. Um, it kind of goes back to like Get Out, where it's it's hard to really talk about these things without it being um, like a psychological horror in a way. And so I really liked that. I really liked, and I will get into it more. Um, but I liked really honing in. You don't, we don't have the, we don't have a lot of control, especially if you're a product of your environment. And I really like that. And I like that. That's what we were tackling in this movie. And then my last pro is, uh, still one of my favorites is the gospel version of back that ass up by Manny fresh um i was excited that they was doing it for the 99s and 2000s i i remember i was watching it with uh ben and um i don't think i don't know if ben caught this but when they were doing when they were dancing and they were feeling it and they started twerking and i was like hold up wait a minute wait i know that's, I know that's not I know that's not what I'm hearing. I know that's not in this church that they are 
uh, okay, nine nine in the two thousands. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. Um, so yeah, so those are those are my pros. Those are essentially my pros. Those are great. I, I yeah. well, let's talk about more of those in a second. Um, yeah. For me, this was an exciting, a disturbing uh, movie, and it was also an ex- outstanding metaphor for oppression. I think uh, John Boyega gives a subtle but beautiful performance in all the different roles that he plays, all the different Fontaines and Tyrones that he is in this movie. It, this is the most fun I've had watching Jamie Foxx since Django. Uh, he's yep. awesome in this. He really should be a supporting character and like like this, you know, flamboyant supporting character with all this like jazz behind him. He's so great in that. And then. Um, yeah, uh, Tayona Paris. Um, I I had watched uh, WandaVision, but I didn't recognize her in this, and mm. she was amazing. I I really like Yo Yo. She's an underrated part of this movie. That she's like the whole reason the whole thing happens. If you pay close yeah. attention, uh, so that she did a great job with that. Um, I think the whole thing is focused and fun. There's a lot of memorable moments, and honestly, it's, it's just a very simple concept that's expanded in really radical ways. Um, and I really appreciate that for my sci-fi. So. I thought that was really great. Okay, but what did you not like about the clone Tyrone, Kida? What is it yeah. that uh, rubbed you the wrong way, perhaps? Yeah. Um, I will say I didn't have a lot of cons, so the cons kind of came from just watching it. And so for me, I will say it is not the most fun. And, I mean, it's probably obvious, but still. It is not the most fun seeing black people being exploited and experimented on, um, especially by uh, white people and oh, yeah. kind of the, the and, and it, they essentially are the system. And uh, it wasn't cute, I don't think, to see, I'm not good at watching uh, like torture and murder on the screen. And you couldn't tell by the discography and filmography and the TV that I watch and listen and, and, and music that I listen to. But I just, I don't know. It's, um, it, it's, it's quite uncomfortable. And, and that was the point of it. Uh, but it's still not fun. And I think that my other con, and I think this is just a personal thing, but the OG um, gene- geneticists, genetics um fontaine the og fontaine exposition i mean the exposition was was a thing uh exposition but i i've yeah. <laughs> read this clone for exposition <laughs> literally that and i'm just i i am not good at monologues that explain things um, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at sitting there and listening to you talk about how you hatched your evil villain plan. <laughs> I just, it's, it's never. It, it's I, I I agree. It's 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 this failing of like the modern like cinematic mm-hmm. like um, blueprint. You know where yes. there's there's suddenly a reveal and the reveal has to be explained like via words, right? Via words. It, and the problem, I mean, there's two problems. One of them is boring listening to someone just talk. Right. Mm-hmm. And this other thing is that it's often wrong. Right. He's <laughs> yes. he's the bad guy. I don't want to listen to what he has to say, actually. At all. You know what I mean? I don't like, care about your justification. And the, the more he talks, the more I hate him. So it's just like, <laughs> exactly. like I can't take anything he says seriously. And At it is all. interesting. I like the the assimilation like kind of plot. I thought that was very interesting. Yes. Um, it was not Ooh. what I expected them to do at all. But um that was 
that was a, that was a certainly something that stood out to me. Something I, I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about a lot after watching the movie. Um, yeah. But it's it's just not like it's not gripping enough, you know. Not it's not nearly no. as exciting as when he's fighting Chester or when right. like Jamie Fox is like you know confronting his own clone or anything like that, right? It's Absolutely. it's way it's way too it's like subdued. So yeah, I'm very much a show don't tell. Uh, yes. type of person when That's I'm watching like sci-fi medium, I would say exactly um <laughs> if it, it's a, it's a sci-fi movie show me the sci-fi right. like show me what you're talking about For Do a a flash- <laughs> lots of really subtle like quiet yes. moments between characters right yes. to kind of have it end like this is I don't know it's just typical honestly it is and and that's something that when I was watching it I had to rewind it because I, I still hadn't fully figured out, like, why are you doing this again? Do, do, I, do I care? Like, yeah, but also I don't know you. Right. This is the first time I'm ever seeing you on the screen. Um, there was nothing that kind of led up to this point. Um, and it's supposed to be like a twist, but the mm-hmm. twist is just you talking. And I just said, okay. All right. Well, I guess we're going to have to listen to this while we <laughs> while we get to. And I guess because the more he explained it, the worse it got. Right. So I guess it justified killing him in cold blood. But <laughs> I was still, I was disengaged. I was. Fair enough. So um, for me, I have, I have like some technical problems with this movie. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I could really come up with. Because like, again, I really, like you said, I really like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um it was poorly lit. I had such a hard time seeing what was going on. Oh, um, that's a good like, con. <laughs> I have a, like, I have a kind of a strange setup in my house mm-hmm. where, like, I have this big window that's on the opposite side of my television. So I have these yeah. you know, like, thick blackout curtains that keep it, like, very dark. And mm-hmm. I've watched lots of movies <laughs> using this setup, and I've not had that much problem. And I kept, like, checking behind me just to make sure my window was closed because yes. I couldn't see anything on the screen. So frustrating. Um, yes. and then, okay. What was their plan if Fontaine was killed? <laughs> they just, just stick him back into the neighborhood and no one would notice. It's bizarre, right? Immediately. Everyone <laughs> that notices that he's so... back and he's like, wait, you were dead yesterday. I thought that was so funny. I said, there's no way y'all are not noticing. Rise <laughs> from the dead. <laughs> Watching it again. It's like, again, the whole thing hinges on yo-yo, right? Yes. But, um, this was, this felt like. For a elaborate, as elaborate a conspiracy it was, it felt like it would have been more fun if there was a, more of an opposition, more of a plan about mm. like this is what happens when when a key person dies in our storyline, right? How do we yeah. how do we get them back? How do we erase people's minds, or what do we do to you know ensure that this doesn't happen or nobody notices right. or cares, right? There doesn't seem to be any sort of like um, uh, like effort to mitigate that, um, which would have been kind of a fun thing for them to explore, and then. This wasn't as much of a problem later in the movie, but the very beginning, some of most of the characters you hear talking are all kind of mumbling, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And so immediately I turned on the subtitles, which is what I. You didn't have the subtitles on when you first. Okay, this is my this is my attitude, Akita. If I'm seriously watching a movie, I will put the subtitles on. If I'm watching it for fun, I don't put the subtitles on. And when I first watched this movie, it was for fun. 
So I was right. like, okay, no subtitles. I was wanted to like, you know, I'm sitting back. I'm taking it relaxed. But then I couldn't understand yeah. what they were saying. So then, See, I, that helps, so then I turned yeah, it Yeah, that helps with my comprehension. Like I'm, because they, because sometimes they'll have the subtitles and they'll put the people, like what they said, like in the background. Yes, or, like, I love that, the actually. lyrics of a, they'll put like the lyrics of a song. I really love that. Like in there. I have to, have, the subtitles just have to have to be on. I so actually, I feel like if I, yeah, didn't have that, I would. There was really an article in the New York Times this week about how like 50% of Gen Z watch stuff with subtitles. Yeah, um, and they and they said some of the, part of the problem is that TV speakers are really really bad, actually. Yes. So that's yes. something yes, yes, to yes. maybe invest in. Um, anyway, yeah, it's also yeah, it's also an accessibility thing. Like I'm just sometimes yes. I just can't. We just can't hear. Yes. Well, I don't want to keep <laughs> turning just, the TV up. You exactly. Know what I mean? Especially like, when what, like maybe like the music. It? Yeah. And, and then, then the like music, so, and and then especially then if it's talk. mixed poorly. Right. Yes. And it's like oh, they, they come in with a gunshot, and I'm like, ah, someone's shooting a gun in my house. <laughs> like, I, can't whispering. Keep, I can't keep i can't keep doing this i can't keep doing this. <laughs> yeah all that's right good. let's let's move on to our overall section mm-hmm. so um what about this movie speaks to you personally kita yes um so it was quite i think it was quite easy for me to watch and uh kind of digest the the commentary of the movie um, because I kind of grew up in two different parts of my hometown growing up. Um, and so for the first part of my childhood, I lived in like a suburban, predominantly black, it was predominantly black and Latino, um, lower middle class neighborhood. And, and I also attended like majority minority public schools um, growing up. And so around the neighborhood, we had a Food Lion. That was our grocery store. Yes. We had a rundown gas station. Um, it was called Yaya's. We still have that um, with Newport ads. So the Newport cigarette ads on the windows. Um, we had unpaved roads. So rocky dirt sand roads um, and police vehicles surveilling the neighborhood, you know, uh, at least three or four times a day. Um, our neighborhood wasn't like the worst neighborhood Um but it also wasn't the safest neighborhood in the world. And so our house kind of growing up, our house was broken to broken into and burglarized on a couple of occasions. Wow. Um, whoops. And so, you know, some things would have got stolen. I remember my DS, my Nintendo DS was stolen. It was like my oh, favorite really? thing in the world. Yeah. So I had to get a new one. Um, and so I grew up in that neighborhood um, from when I was little to maybe about middle school, high school. And so then um, I moved in the middle of middle school, the second half of my childhood, we moved to a more affluent area of my city. Um, And so when we got there, there was a pretty stark difference of what the neighborhoods look like um, and the people that you saw walking around in the neighborhood. Um, So there were multiple grocery stores. It was the first time I had ever heard of a Harris Teeter. And it was like ninth grade when they started building one. Ah, Um, The old Harry Teet. Oh, Harry Teeter, the Hatcher's Teacher. Yes, the whole Hatcher's Teacher. Yes, it was the first time I had multiple grocery stores that I had access to. So we had the Food Lion and we had the Walmart and then we had um, the Harris Teeter. Uh, We did not have a Target very near us. Um, I remember talking to Ben. I think coming to Raleigh was the first time I ever heard of a Super Target. Mm. (laughs) 
I never knew what that was. Um, and so they also built like a movie theater down the street with a putt-putt course um, and the roads were paved and they're easy to drive on. You could like bike on them. You could rollerblade on them. If anybody know about an unpaved road and trying to rollerblade on an unpaved uh, yeah. road, no, that's not, it's just not going to happen. Okay. It's just not going to happen. No. Um, so as I went through college and kind of applied and got into where I wanted to go and started taking um, some sociology classes and stuff, I started to realize that that type of stuff is intentional um, and not just intentional from who's living in the neighborhood. Cause I was just thinking, Oh, you know, we don't have a lot of money um, growing up. I'm living in low income houses and the people around me are, you know, just, you know, just not got the best life in the world. So it just make it makes sense. It makes sense that this neighborhood looks like this. And then the one that I moved to um, has a sign with uh, with shrubbery around it when you first enter the neighborhood. Like there's, you know, there's certain people who live in certain areas and that's just how it is. Um, until I started to realize that it is how it is, but it's not because of who we were because we were working people, you know, my parents were working people. Um, I went to pretty good schools. Um, the, the students around me when I was growing up, we were really good students. Um, the families were working really, really hard. It's just, I started to realize that we just didn't have access to a lot of different things. Um, I remember when I first got into your neighborhood, Joey, I saw the pool. I saw a community, a lake. I yeah, said, lake. I said, where is the... The lake? What? Y'all had a, a trail that walked to a really nice park? I said I had never seen that in my life. Um, so that type of stuff for me, it speaks to me personally because you start to realize that that stuff is intentional, but not because of who we were, but because of how our city and how our kind of government and the, the corporations around us kind of wanted it to be that way, you know? And I see that a lot in They Clone Tyrone. Um, it's very explicit in They Clone Tyrone when they start to see like we have Newport ads like uh, in the in the windows of these rundown gas stations because this is how we want that to look. You know, it is easier to, and I think I'm gonna get to it a little later, but it is easier to not really fix the issues going on and let you all believe that this is y'all's doing or this is you know the product of how you all are living but it's kind of reverse it's like the what you guys give us is what we is what we take you know and so um we're a product of our environment and if our environment is not we don't have like i said access to a lot of these things um that's just that's just how we're gonna live, and so um, it was it was a it was a stark difference seeing, like I said, who was living in the more affluent area, like who did I see walking around, who did I see walking their dog, um, and it looked completely different from where I grew up my first part of my childhood, and it was and and sometimes those messages can really seep into you. I remember growing up in that going to a, it was a more predominantly white high school at that point when I moved the second time um, or when I moved for my second part of my childhood. And you start to really take those messages in of like, okay, well, I guess the people that look like this deserve this because that's who I see. Mm -hmm. And the people who 
look like this in the first part of my childhood deserve this because that is all I see. Um, and you and you don't really see it's systemic until you actually start, you know, reading about it and actually getting into what systemic issues. The history of it, really. Exactly. The history of it and why we're here um, and, and why the, the people who we trust to represent us keep it that way. Um, and so that's kind of how it speaks to me personally. Growing up, it was it was something to really behold, um, seeing what type of things were going down in certain neighborhoods um, and things we had access to in certain places. So it was it was it was interesting. It was interesting to watch. The metaphor in this movie is very interesting to me because mm-hmm. it is obviously not literally correct. Right. There isn't literally right. a conspiracy underneath the city like Mm -hmm. controlling people but like the attitude of the people that perpetuate systemic racism and like segregated neighborhoods like you're describing Mm -hmm. is the same as the people that commit this conspiracy in the movie right they they absolutely would pull something like this if they could and could get away with it you know what i mean that it's like a it's so interesting how, like, how Joel Taylor frames this, how, how all these different aspects of what we consider, like, American black culture as mm-hmm. tools of oppression, right, to keep people from uh, realizing that, uh, like, keep people realizing that there's something being done to them as mm-hmm. opposed to their own personal failings or whatever, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that's. I think it's very interesting. I think it's a very, it's very powerful in that way because it isn't, like, because it, it's not pointing to anything exactly. It's sort mm-hmm. of glancing off of historic, like, uh, like tools of oppression. Um, but it's using that stuff, like stereotypes, stuff that we're familiar with, in order to show how the deck is stacked against people in these disadvantaged neighborhoods how it's Mm. not really possible for them to escape because uh there's all of this tying them to it right it's also interesting how much like how much psychology plays a role you know when you think like we like to think of ourselves as being rational creatures you know but it's really not true um Mm. we're so influenced by like not just their environments, but just like the attitudes and the things people say around us. It's so, it can be so powerful, like just reframing this sort of situation as a personal failing, as opposed Mm -hmm. to a, like a, a elaborate conspiracy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the, I think that you could, honestly call the like redlining and Mm. like that like the whole zoning thing and then a lot of the other like tools such as like the uh like statistical policing where they were like yes it's not the broken windows thing because that's not exactly right the but the idea that um historically we found the most crime in black neighborhoods so we're going to look there if mm-hmm. we're trying to find more crime right Absolutely. it's it perpetuates itself in this very easy way um yeah. but if you know just, like yeah, if there's going to be more police things a conspiracy yeah yeah, yeah. i'll say you know if there's going to be more police there's probably going to be more arrests 
Right. That's just how. The police do the arrests. <laughs> the police do the arrests. Hilarious. If there's no police, if there's no police in the neighborhood, no arrests are being made. <laughs> I I listened to this podcast called How to Citizen. Um, this guy named Baratunde. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, and he interviewed this guy in one of the early episodes. And he said, imagine a world where the police like are, you know, your neighbor. They mm. are, you know, they come by when something really wrong happens, but otherwise, you know, they kind of stay out of your way and they, you, you can, you feel like you can rely on them, but they are not a like constant presence in your, like in your life kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and he's like, uh, it's actually not hard to imagine that because that exists. It's called the it's, suburbs. It yes, literally <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> uh, I, I think about that all the time, you know, because it's mm-hmm. like it's like we actually are doing the right thing as far as like policing goes in some in very in like some areas, you know, but it's so easy to find it. Um, it it's so easy to find examples of it being used as an abusive system. Yeah. Right. That speaks to the larger problems at play. Um so, but it's like it's not hard to look for models of it being used correctly. It's just, right. uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Anyway, great. Um, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, systemic issues here mm-hmm. and some of the themes that are present here. Like what what kind of what stood out to you as far as um, you know some of the metaphors that were used in this? Yeah. Area? So I the themes here. Um, is I think they cloned Tyrone. I think they loudly called out um, the systemic issues that are perpetuated by like big government or like government agencies and big business and corporations that tend to disadvantage um, black communities and black neighborhoods. Um, And they typically coerce individuals to make questionable and or dangerous decisions. Um, And so in this movie, like the white puppet masters underground, you know, they use stereotypical stereotypical tropes to keep black people happy and at bay. So there are just no questions when black people are being experimented on. Um, And it is easier for our government to not only continue, but encourage the negative circumstances that disadvantage black people. So there are some things that they tend to do, um, not in they clone Tyrone, but like in real life that they tend to do to kind of keep, you know, these things going, um, but in very, very like subconscious subliminal ways. So we have like eco environmental racism, um, the lack of education and honestly all facets of our society. So a lack of political education, legal, financial, parental, um, psychoeducational. So lack of mental health support, um, in these areas, um, also allocating budgets to police and surveil black neighborhoods. Um, big ones are like racial dog whistling. So you hear like black on black crime, like black father absenteeism, welfare queens, cultural poverty, inner city crime. Um, you know, the government and big corporations, and I think the biggest theme here is they're able to control what we consume in food, what we consume in media, um, how they control the narrative of Black American life and, and, and Black American people. Um, and essentially, they do control people, like, in these places. Um, and so with policing, surveillance, state sanctioned violence, mass incarceration, um, as is done in They Clone Tyrone. Um, and so yeah, there's well, this... Well, well, yeah, yeah, okay, so, go ahead. Um, the food thing is so interesting, 
right? I know. Because, like, so they put this stuff in the chicken that makes yes. everyone sort of euphoric. Everyone's, like, giggling and stuff. Gosh, that was so funny when John Boyega finally, like, breaks, and he's, like, sitting there, like, like, like kind of dancing in his seat eating chicken. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, like, so out of character. <laughs> and I, so Charles is, it. like... What is going on? Like this it. guy is this guy is nuts. Um, getting into this food, yeah, <laughs> so funny. Um, but it's a like this idea that like black communities aren't able to find nutrition or like nutritious mm-hmm. meals or have trouble finding those because uh, it, in some cases they're priced out. In some cases, it's just not available or convenient it's to not, get to it. It's not right? there, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's a. Um, I thought that was very. I thought that was very interesting. I, I and I want to just expand on that because I think the food thing is something we really don't get into much. But like I said, the difference between where I grew up versus where I went to college was completely different. So we didn't really have access to like a Trader Joe's, like a fresh market, mm-hmm. um, a farmers market. You know, we didn't have. What we did have, though, around the corner was a Chinese restaurant that's attached to a food line. We did have a McDonald's, very close, like walking distance. Um, But we didn't have places to go for fresh produce, for healthy meals, um, for balanced diets. And it was just easier to go to your local food line. And like you talked about with prices, it was just easier to get the ramen. It was easier to get mm-hmm. the hot dogs. It was easier to do like the spaghetti and meatballs, you know, every other night. It was easy to go get takeout pizza um, just because we just did not have access to what that looked like. And so that means growing up, I didn't know how to eat. Like, you know, we don't know how to eat. My parents growing up and then having us, we didn't really know how to figure out how to do well-balanced diets. And that also goes back to education. Um, We don't have education to teach us how to eat and teach us how to prepare our food. And like I said, that's just, all that's just very systemic and it is not um, on accident and it's not a coincidence. So I just, I think the food part was so, I'm glad it was included. <laughs> um, yes. It's very stereotypical with the fried chicken, but I mean, hey, that's what was in our neighborhood. That's okay. what. That's what. what <laughs> that's his whole movie is like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's full of these stereotypes. Again, I think yep. it's it's really it's very interesting um, yeah. because of that. It, it, it and just like having all these, yeah, having all these stereotypes play huge mm-hmm. roles, and then and then putting something on top of it, right? Absolutely. Being like, okay, well, this is a. Uh, you know, having our characters actually have a lot of personality and then having mm-hmm. all of these, you know, uh, actions or places or anything have this sinister aspect to them. Right. Absolutely. It's just it's it's such a good metaphor because it's not saying like, oh, like, you know, eating fried chicken is evil as much mm-hmm. as it's like this is what's available. Right. The only yeah, thing that's good in he- the neighborhood is what's killing you. You know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, this is what we're seeing on TV. They saying it's the best fried chicken. We got it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I wrote that down. I can't remember what it was. Uh, that, I was like, dang, this is a really good jingle. I wish they had used I this. Love it. <laughs> yeah, um, I love it. They had me hooked. <laughs> exactly. I was like, dang, I, don't know, I think we're going remember, ne- remember, who needs vices when you get all these herbs and spices at discount <laughs> prices? <laughs> oh, 
perfect. <laughs> so good. I'll do it. I'll do it. Damn, try chicken. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because <laughs> it re- it's really like that, too. Um, and so uh, kind of just to wrap up, like, the theme for me is I – I uh, cited my sources and this person on Reddit spoke it a little bit better than I could have. So I am going to read that. Um, so Reddit user uh, Sap to Fiction um, said that the whole idea in the film is that the cloning experiments allow the scientists to keep everyone in the Glen essentially trapped there forever. No one leaves. No one achieves anything higher than that. This reflects all the ways that historically the government has created barriers to building power and wealth through racist legislation social practices, and more. Um, and when I saw that, I said, yup, sap to fiction. Yeah, that, you know what? That's, <laughs> that wraps you got it, it up. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> wraps it up real cute with a bow. Um, so yeah, I think that's for me with this, with the the theme, how it speaks to me very much so. Um, do you, you know about the uh, Tuskegee uh, syphilis experiments, right? I was I thinking sure about do. that uh, yeah. a lot during this. If anyone is not familiar with it, basically between 1930 and the 1970s, there was this uh, long-term study where they were um, basically not treating male mm-hmm. African-American males with syphilis um, in order to see what would happen to them. Yep. And um, it was, yeah, it, like over 400 people were involved in this, and the people in the experiment didn't know they were in an experiment. Mm-hmm. They thought they were getting treatment for their syphilis. Uh, but yeah. they were not, and they were allowed to continue to spread it and continue to die from it and let it you know ravage them, um, even though they were being monitored by U.S. government officials. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a it's an insane thing that uh, they did, and I can't believe it went on into the seventies. Into it, the seventies, I believe yeah. that like all of the information or all of the data they gathered was destroyed or something just because mm. it was so unethical. Um, yep. But it's a, yeah, it's a, um, a horrifying thing. And it, but it made me think about this. I mean, this movie made me think about that. It seems like an obvious uh, like allegory to that. Not just them bringing people underground to experiment on them, but just like lying to them about what, th- that they're part of something, you know, that they're, yeah. they're being watched and observed and uh, unable to uh, escape. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I can't imagine anything more horrifying than learning I that, can't. you know, I was, uh, these people that were trying to telling me they were helping me were actually like killing me, yeah. um, you know, so uh, insane. Okay, so this movie falls solidly into the exploitation genre. Um, what do you, how do you feel about blaxploitation? Um, well, how do you feel like this movie represents it? Uh, yeah. You know, positive, negative, what, what do you think? Yeah, so I I am I'm pretty mixed about the black exploitation genre. Um, the only reason why I know about this genre is because I took African American cinema class, and that was a real fun topic for us. Um, and so I've come I've come to understand black exploitation um, as a genre kind of made for its time, right? Like it came up in like the '70s with the Black Power movement, and you know, fight the power, fight the man. So I feel like it was definitely made for its time. Um, um, I think 
I do love it more than I, I dislike the genre. Um, I think these films do a great job highlighting the systemic issues and barriers Black Americans uh, were facing and are still facing. Um, they also tackle head-on who was responsible for these barriers and then also celebrating Black culture. Um, a lot of the films, like the the original black exploitation films um, really delve into like style and fashion and the way characters talk and the way characters walk. Um, and so it was very black and I really appreciated it for that. Definitely give and fight the power, but it also is called black exploitation for a reason. <laughs> so yes. um, I do tend to find issues with like the glamorization of like violence in these communities, negative stereotypes, um, and the narrative of Black Americans is like thugs and pimps and drug dealers, ladies of the night, you know, people down on their luck. And those things are a thing. Like, it's true that there are thugs and pimps and drug dealers and ladies yeah, of the night. Yeah, but that's, so not, prostitutes. <laughs> that's um, not representative of the Black community. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they do not represent the average Black American. Um, and so so, and like I said, it also kind of glamorized their roles and they, it kind of glamorized like we are doing this to fight the power. We sure. were using these tools to fight the man. And it's just like, all right. <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, y'all do y'all thing over there. Y'all do y'all thing. Right. Um, I'm going to say over here, but y'all do y'all thing over there. Um And so, and those were at the time, some of like the only black representation that was a thing back then <laughs> like i think we were just coming off of like the mammy stuff and the um birth of a nation stuff and we were just getting into black exploitation so there wasn't a lot of black film that represented black americans except for these so that's kind of where i was finding issues with it but i do and so kind of getting into um it's you know, role with They Clone Tyrone is I just love the genre it, in itself for pioneering what Black movies look like today um, and giving, you know, Black people a platform to really talk about what it is to be Black American. Um, and so many Black filmmakers pay um, homage and are inspired by movies like Black Dynamite. I know Black Dynamite was a huge influence in They Clone Tyrone. Um, Foxy Brown, listen, I, I know what I just said. But I love Foxy Brown and Coffee <laughs> just because of what they, what she looked like, um, what Pam Greer looked like, and uh, what she was doing, how she was using her body and her sexual prowess to do what she needed to do. Listen, I'm for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really am into that. Um, the Last Dragon, Superfly, like those are like cult classic movies a lot a lot of black filmmakers take influence from and i just feel like we wouldn't have the black filmmakers we have today without those so um i really appreciate the genre for that um have you seen um dolomite is my name the eddie murphy movie about rudy very more i have not seen that uh you sh it's if you like black exploitation movies then you would yes. love this movie it's so oh. good it came out uh, in 2019 a couple of years ago, it's and it's about Rudy Ray Moore like starting the like black exploitation genre essentially. Oh, it's so yeah. fun. It was I, I I just thinking about it, I get chills. I just I it was such like such a feel good movie. I oh, really really liked it. Anyway, I'm have to check that out. Yeah. Um, I think I, I while you were talking about that, I'm, I like I had this idea before we started, and now it's like becoming fully formed. So mm. maybe you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. Cool. So the characters in. They clone Tyrone are 
stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. We've got a drug dealer, a pimp, and a uh, sex worker, a prostitute. Yeah. They are, specifically Fontaine and Slick Charles, are tools of oppression used by the conspiracy, right? Mm-hmm. And you could say the same thing is true about the archetypes that they represent within the black exploitation genre, right? right? They are tools used by the the drug dealer and the pimp are used as tools by the black exploitation genre to mm-hmm. perpetuate a similar type of uh um you know attitude about how black people are viewed in culture right Right. like you were saying like these are often the heroes of these stories um Mm -hmm. and it's not a positive uh they're not positive role models you could say right um yeah uh, so maybe uh, as they are uh tools of oppression by the conspiracy they are also tools of the black exploitation genre to Mm -hmm. uh, perpetuate a certain um uh, attitude toward black people and it's kind of right. worse than like the meta cinematic level mm, i like that that was well thought out thanks that was great <laughs> <laughs> i love that a lot and i also like it when you talk about them being tools of oppression i think when we do talk about oppression and we use systemic issues as a phrase all the time it is really difficult to point a finger so when you have people in your neighborhood like thugs, pimps, drug dealers, that is where a lot of the energy tends to go. Like right. that is where a people in the regular regular people in the neighborhood could point and be like, y'all are the problem. Drug dealers, pimps, thugs, prostitutes, y'all are on these streets making our lives hell on earth. And, and that is the point. <laughs> like that is what they the government and big corporations tend to want you to do because like if we can continue to have y'all do this we can do what we want to do y'all are gonna be the issue because we want y'all to be the issue so we could do yes. what we need to we do. want you to fight each other because if they fight yes. each other then then there's nothing there's nothing you can do you can't At escape all. if you're fighting your if you're fighting yourself they're trapped right yeah. they're trapped um, um so i think that's cool. yes it's no it's so it's it's like a it's very interesting to have them eventually revealed as tools of this right Mm, and i think that it is really powerful seeing them kind of come to terms with it especially since fontaine Mm. really struggles with it right absolutely he's like he's like willing to go back to the way things were he doesn't Mm. even want to he doesn't even know what to what to do about it which is like his whole attitude is that he feels so trapped by this um life that he doesn't know he doesn't even think that there's anything else he could do but yeah. What's also interesting is like once as soon as Slick Charles and Fontaine recognize the power that like that they are the ones perpetu- helping perpetuate the conspiracy, they mm-hmm. are also the key to like stopping the whole thing. Right. They Absolutely. exercise their own power. They get everybody together. They get them all on the same page and they all go down and destroy the lab. Right. Love that. That was always possible. Because yes, they were always there, able to do it. They just never had a reason to consolidate like that, you know? Absolutely. So it, it shows, like, how much of an influence these individuals have on this community and mm. how if they are able to, if you could redirect their attention towards something constructive, it would have a huge impact. But yep. by continuing to, 
you know, put them in situations where they are forced to continue the system of oppression and also encourage that because it gives them power, right? The one person that's missing from this equation is the preacher, right? Mm -hmm. He also plays a huge role in that. And he is more explicitly enjoying the power Mm -hmm. of having a bunch of people listening to him and coming to his church and, you know, gathering alms from them or whatever, right? But um, and without as many of the negatives, you might say. Yeah. But he is uh, also this tool of oppression. He's also this thing that's supposed to be, um, you know, uh, uh, it's supposed to be helping the community that's actually hurting the community. Yeah. Um, and if he was to use that power to direct those people toward, you know, fighting those systems of oppression and, uh, you know, helping each other instead of uh, commiserating with their loss, yeah. uh, who knows what would happen? Who knows? So it's like it's like a two it's a twofold thing. And and again, I think this movie does a really good job of kind of threading that needle. There is this system that is keeping them down. But there's Mm -hmm. also this these also these individuals that are benefiting from this. Right. Mm -hmm. And although they don't really they can't see the full picture because they don't recognize themselves as part of the problem. They are part of the problem. Um, And, uh, you know, they're they are. If they didn't exist, then we wouldn't have those legitimate concerns of what about the pimps and drug dealers, right? Right. What if we didn't? If they weren't there, then we would perhaps focus on something else. So, you can't say that they're completely blameless from this. They they certainly have a a big role to play, even if they are ignorant of it. Yeah, and I know I know Jewel Taylor talks a bit about like blame versus responsibility. Sure. And it's like, I'm not, we don't need to blame, but there is a level of responsibility that Mm. you have um, as these, you know, key roles in your community. Um, Especially like you said, with the preacher, with that much influence. Um, I just think we, there's, there's no point pointing fingers like that um, and, and blaming someone for it because that doesn't really get much of anywhere, but I think the the biggest part is that responsibility of no, your circumstances are not your fault. Um, no, your environment is not your fault, but you do have a responsibility um, to really reflect and really come together within your community to see what needs to be done. And I and I think that's a, also a really dope message in this too. We talked a little bit about this. We've talked a lot about this uh, mm-hmm. metaphor and this systemic. Uh, of systemic racism. Um, there's a lot of different examples in it. Where do you feel like this works the best? Yeah. Um, so I was really trying to figure it out. Um, but I think it could be one of two things, but I like this one the most. So kind of after escaping the strip club, um, Fontaine, Yo-Yo, and Slick Charles are running from a mind-controlled horde of black folks. The people are controlled through music they are listening to. Um, and per the director, Jewel Taylor, they were able to play with like sub-aural sound. So like sound that you can't really hear with the human ear that has a Morse code embedded in the song telling them to chase the three main characters. So the oh, Morse really? code would, yeah, it was really dope to hear him talk about it. Um, but the in the background, it was like, a, it would just be a message of like stop, subdue um, to, you know, get them and then like carry on and so they would release them and so but all of the chasers are conscious though so it's not like they like blacked out 
and now they're back, but they were conscious the whole time. Um, and they, but they don't have any control over their actions and they don't really know what's going on. Um, so I think for me, that's one of the strongest metaphors. Um, and then when Nixon shows up, Nixon has Fontaine point a gun at himself. Um, and even with the characters being aware, they still have no kind of control with Nixon wielding all of the control. And I say, I see that being like the strongest metaphor, because even once you do, you know, become aware of what's going on, you are still kind of trapped in this environment that you're in. And you still have these, you have no choice but have the government and, you know, these, like I said, big corporations kind of still control essentially like your every move. So kind of where you live, where you work, where you eat, um, and things like that. And so I think for me, as far as systemic racism, that I feel like is probably the strongest, especially knowing that this big, bad white man is the one who was able to control or like the white uh, DJ was able to play this music and get all of them to, you know, do what they want them them to do. Um, DJ Strange Love. Please. <laughs> Um, yeah, the songs were really interesting. There was, this yeah. movie has a ton of songs in it, but there was mm-hmm. some specifically that were that were like very spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is called Shiesty, um, yeah. and one of the lyrics in there is "Do what I say, you are slit, you are enslaved to do what I say," um, mm-hmm. which is uh, it was it's spooky. It sounds like a normal hip hop song, but the lyrics are just like right there. Very there was another specific. one it's called, it's called um, "I Was Thinking." I think this is, I don't remember exactly when this one is played. I can find it in a second. But uh, the lyrics are, I was thinking we should step one foot back and to the left. I was thinking we should grab our nearest neighbor and hold them back. Mm. (laughs) Jesus. That's so so spooky. I know. It's so spooky. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, There's another one called Drunk AF, um, which uh, is not quite as on the nose as that Mm. one. But uh, it says, uh, can't remember shit past 1130. Uh, what I don't know won't hurt me. If I did something real bad, I'm sorry. Life of the fucking party. Drunk as fuck. Drunk as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of, uh, you know, a, a little like, uh, it's, a, it's subliminal, right? It's like this, yep. you can't remember, you're not responsible kind of thing. And then I think my favorite one is the one they play at the club called Round and Round yeah. uh, by FCG, Heem, and Jorney Bell. Uh, don't leave. I need you here. I hear voices everywhere. You're intoxicated. Whole world on drugs, baby. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's there's one more song in here uh, called They Clone Tyrone by uh, Erica Badu. Uh, that's my that's, favorite. <laughs> she, I think the song, I, I read something that the song was actually written, um, what's it, uh, written in one way uh, and then rewritten for the movie. Uh, so they have more of the metaphor in there. So they yeah. somebody cloned Tyrone. Uh, they they cloned um, Tyrone. It's very funny. And then I wanted to also say that I kind of liked, I didn't know if this was on purpose. So if I'm reaching, I like to reach. It's fun. Um, the author's but... dad, Kita. <laughs> Please reach. I will reach. Um, so obviously we have our kind of dude who's controlling um, our our black folks in the community after the strip club's name is Nixon. So I was like, huh, I've heard of a man named Nixon before. We, we uh, have a president, name. I think, <laughs> named Richard Nixon. Um, and so there was a point um, in Nixon's campaign, so uh, the 1968 campaign, where he wanted to 
get the black vote, but also kind of keep, you know, some moderate conservative white votes as well. Um, so his campaign calculate his campaign's calculated approach chronicle in Joe McInnes's famous book, The Selling of the President, including running commercials attuned to black audiences, meeting with black advisors and taking out ads in black magazines like Jet, I like bringing up Jet because I was reading Jet when I was little. Um, and so I thought it was kind of, I, like I said, I don't think, I don't know if this was on purpose, but naming him Nixon and having Nixon be the president of, um, he would, like I said, he would use words that would draw in black voters as well. So he would use words like black power and um and a couple other things that is not coming to me right now, but he was essentially courting uh, black voters by getting into what black people indulge in. Um, but also he would be like, on the other hand, you know, talking to white voters about uh, the plight of black people, but it, it being coming, coming from black people. Um, so he was kind of playing both sides in a way. And it was kind of, it was kind of weird. Um, another, another thing is um, at the end of black dynamite. So the movie in 2009, um, which this movie, They Clone Tyrone, takes heavy influence from Black Dynamite's journey ends at the White House where Richard Nixon was serving president. So I don't think it's that much of a reach that they named him Nixon for yeah. this reason. Um, but I just wanted to, I just definitely wanted to put that out there. That's um, cool. I like that. So yeah, I thought it was, I was like, I'm a, I'm a reach though. I think it's kind of cool because it was yeah. a big thing for Richard Nixon to to do that. Um, and kind of influence their their vote in in that way. So I was like, I don't think it's on purpose. Yeah, I don't think it's on purpose. Uh, so yeah, and then I think um, another metaphor. I think the most explicit one <laughs> was experiments in the underground facility. Um, so they had some experiments where they played with music, so music genres influencing behavior. They are forcing you know black women to view. Um, relaxing hair commercials for black women um, and things like that. So I thought the experiments underground was a pretty, pretty strong metaphor for systemic racism. <laughs> yes, for sure. Especially, oh man, the one that's most disturbing is the one where they have the two guys fighting and then they yes. like, play the music and then they start like hugging. And then they um, start hugging. That yes. was a that was a scary one. That was. Mm-hmm. All right. One more question for you, Kita. How did you feel about the ending of this movie? They, they, so there's a couple things, right? First, they get everybody out of the of the underground facility. Uh, all mm-hmm. the clones are released, um, and then we cut to a, another uh, Fontaine who was na- named Tyrone, who lives in yes. uh, L.A. And um, he is going through the same routine that our Fontaine goes through, but he watches the news and sees that he is a, in fact, a clone. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- okay. What did you think about all that? Like, hey, yo, is that you, Tyrone? <laughs> Ain't that you, Tyrone? <laughs> that was great. Um, I actually really liked the ending um, about a hoe, a pimp, and a drug dealer. I liked it. Um, it I like that these were the key players that exposed and disrupted the underground experiments. And not only did they do that, like uh, they disrupted it, but they brought the community together with yeah. that, and they woke up the community as well. Um, and I thought that was extremely strong, um, especially with having Fontaine and Isaac kind of coming together as well. I, 
oh, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when they like concocted this plan to deceive yes. the underground folks. Um, and I and I I don't know why I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. I was like, oh my gosh, they're working together. Like that has to be such a hard thing to do. He killed him. Um, and they're uh, you know rival drug dealers. And um, I thought it was really beautiful that they were able to do that. And I think it's. I think the writers and the director probably just see a very strong uh, significance in community building and yeah. community collective conscious. And I really, really appreciated seeing that. Um, it's like, we don't have to fight each other. Like we're not each other's enemy. We are our community. We are a community that is um, that could be built off of love and support and making sure that we are all okay. And there is an actual enemy here that we need to go and get. And I liked how um, they didn't go in and it wasn't, it was, it was a good elaborate plan, but I liked how they just went in there and, and, and effed all that, all that stuff up and they just broke everything. And I, I loved seeing that. That was fun. Um, cool. I also like I also like seeing happy endings in these movies regarding black people. Um, I like seeing them fight the man and I like seeing them winning. There are a lot of movies, one I will name in particular. What it was? Oh, my gosh. What was that movie? Joey, what was that movie? I don't know what you're talking about. It was like the it was like the it was kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde movie. Queen and Slim. There we go. <laughs> Queen and Slim, um, where they, you know. Spoiler if you haven't seen it. Um, they kind of died at the end, which sucked. And I, there was a lot of movies that kind of tend to do that where it's we're building up all this hope, all this hope, all this hope. And then they end up not winning and they end up, yeah, some tragedy. you know, it, tragedy. Yeah. So I'm glad I got to see the evil forces thwarted um, by a band of misfits <laughs> um, and people you wouldn't expect to solve a mystery like this. Um, it was refreshing to see the people wake up, come together and fight for their community. Um, and it would have been easier and safer to turn a blind eye to what was going on, even after finding out what was happening. Um, and there were a lot of moments where they really sat there and was like, yo, we probably don't need to get into this. But they were like, we, this is happening and it's going to continue to happen and we need to let people know. So I like the ending and I like the ending of, uh, there possibly being, um, you know, things they they get to band together for another time and and continue to, um, kind of fight the fight whatever is going on. So I liked all of that. I think it's time for us to take a short break, mm -hmm. and then we will come back with our cool Easter eggs, um, and our ratings. Gotcha. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You will not believe the event that is coming to your local sports arena slash complex. It'll be the night of your life. That's right, a spectacle unlike any you've ever experienced. Something so novel and mind-meltingly awesome. The likelihood of needing professional therapy and possibly medication to offset the feeling of ennui in your boring average life is 10,000%. Please speak to your doctor before attending this incredible evening of pure entertainment. This deals into easily digestible sections that will nevertheless leave you feeling profoundly seen and heard in a way that surpasses the time your father first told you he was proud of you and the birth of your first child. 
before attending this event. Be sure all your affairs are in order and you've spoken to the important people in your life because it'll be the last time that they see anything other than you in a vegetative state because we have just experienced something so utterly complete. The only thing that you want to do is mull it over for the rest of your miserable and ordinary life. Tickets are five dollars to the door and kids can in free. Be there and be amazed. Welcome back. Uh, we are here with Kita, the recurring guest on Affable Chat, and we've got a couple of cool Easter eggs to share with you. Kita, why don't you go first? Yeah, so I had, I, I said a couple before, but um, one of my favorite Easter eggs is Jewel Taylor cameo at the end uh, with Tyrone. That was really cool. I didn't know that was him when I first watched it, um, and then I watched an interview, and then he was like, yeah, I was in there, and I said, when? And then I went back, and that was him. <laughs> That's <fun. laughs> that was him. So that was cool. I love seeing I love seeing director cameos. That's dope. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic. Mm -hmm. Um, I only have one, but this was very interesting. I I didn't know this existed. There's this thing called the blacklist, which comes mm. out. It's becoming out in 15 years. It was invented by a guy named Franklin Leonard, um, and it is essentially a website with a list of screenplays that have not been developed yet, and the idea is that um, he, the idea behind it was that he would collect screenplays that from great screenwriters and uh, see in, you know, that they had not yet produced, and he would put them all into a list that anyone could read them and decide, uh, specifically people that you know, make movies, basically, mm -hmm. um, and decide if they wanted to make any of them. Uh, of the 1,000 screenplays they have received over the last 15 years or so, 300 of them have been made into movies, and they've gone on to win over 50 Oscars. Wow. And They Clone Tyrone was on 2019's Blacklist. Uh, okay. What's interesting about this is that um, he specifically said he wanted to, wanted to um, uh, uh, challenge the idea that black means bad mm. because he wanted to say that like, what if there was a blacklist that you wanted to be on? Mm. Um, and, the, so that, that was like the, the, the orig original reason for the name and all that. I thought that was great. And, and the other thing is, you know, it's a double entendre that these movies had not been picked yet. Uh, so they were on somebody's blacklist, but now mm. they were on Leonard's blacklist and therefore, uh, worthy of, um, <laughs> of, uh, praise or of a second look. So Absolutely. very cool. That's good. Oh, I have one more, one more. Okay. Um, so in the movie, there is this liquor. I don't know the name of it, and I completely forgot. But there's this liquor that, that that's featured in the movie throughout, um, and that liquor was um, an intentional put or intentional Easter egg because that came from the alcohol and black dynamite that the government oh, wow. used that the government used to control um, the 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 whims and the ways of the black people in black wow. dynamite. Um, so, like I said, heavy influence coming from. Black Dynamite. I guess I gotta watch it now. <laughs> yeah, we, we should do it next. <laughs> we yeah. should do Black Dynamite next, honestly. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that that is uh, that's a pretty big uh, Easter egg for for the director. Okay, that's the end of our discussion about They Clone Tyrone. I hope you enjoyed it. As we do at the end of every Affable Chat episode, we deliver our ratings. Kita, what do you give They Cloned Tyrone? Yes, I give They Cloned Tyrone a beautiful praise, twerk, and worship. 
to Manny's Freshes. Manny Freshes back that ass up. You got to do it for the nine nines in the 2000s. Okay. Y'all go play. Y'all go play that song after you listen to this podcast. Thank you. That's right. Unfortunately, <laughs> we can't play songs in this podcast. No, we can't play track. it. So you, you, yeah, you play you, it. You go you play have it. To do that. That's your uh, action for the day. <laughs> your call to action is to look up this song. Back call to action is look up this song and praise twerk worship to it. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I give this movie a secret hypnotic message that makes you want to watch Netflix all day and all night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, next on Affable Chat, we are doing the movie Adaptation, another Charlie Kaufman movie. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Affablechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts, including our Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address at AffableChat or AffableChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, uh, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is uh, go to that elevator in your closet, uh, (laughs) sniff some of that white powder, and and, uh, listen to AffableChat. I swear there's no subliminal... um, uh, messaging in it uh, at least not this episode uh, that's all for us Kita thank you so much for coming on and oh, talking about this movie with me thank you so much for having me I hope I get to come back again I love doing this so much course, I appreciate it of course. <laughs> this is and, great and thank you for listening <laughs>